Hi, you are listening to Serious Banter, a podcast at the intersection of business, entrepreneurship, tech, and popular culture. We bring together people with views worth sharing, and we banter. We take a lighthearted approach to somewhat serious matters of popular interest. Justin, so how are you doing? Do you want to kind of give us your thoughts before we get going? Let's kick things off. Today we are talking about agribusiness balance. We have Michael. Uh, we have Kyle uh, as well. Oh, well. I'm good. Good evening, everyone. I was reading up on a few interesting stats about um, where we stand as a country, right? And, you know, when you start looking at these things a bit more closely than you ordinarily would, you, you start to see some eye-popping things going on. So Nigeria has 92.4 million hectares of land. That's our total land mass. And arable land out of that is 82 million. That's, that's more than 90%. Meaning that anywhere in Nigeria that you drop anything in the soil, it should do well, right? Ordinarily, that's cause for celebration. These are some of the things that people from the outside look at, and they can't reconcile that potential with where we actually are. Because when you start looking at the agricultural output, in spite of having over 90% arable land, we are lagging people that are farming in the desert in terms of output, agricultural output. Do you understand? Uh, it's just amazing. So agriculture contributes... 24% to GDP in Nigeria. This is uh, stats as of 2016. First of all, understand that GDP is the sum total of what we produce in the country. So when you are, it's not revenue. So when you aggregate every, the, the, the economic value of everything that is produced in Nigeria, that's what's GDP. So agriculture accounts for 24% of that. Sounds good, right? Until you start to look at agriculture's share of revenue or contribution to revenue is just 4%. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Let me, let me not continue ranting. Okay, over to you guys. Michael, please take it away. Tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do in agribusiness and the entire world. It's Michael Oluagbimi. Still, first and foremost, I always remind everyone that regardless of what I do, I'm still an engineer. Probably back ground in electrical engineering. My journey to agribusiness went by the way of my experience um, in oil and gas back in the day, working out of Houston, when I was the um, uh, early project manager for the much vaunted uh, Keystone Pipeline, which all of you are very familiar with. Oh, interesting. Uh, this is a country, uh, the United States, that is the uh, largest producer of crude oil in the world and gas, and yet continues to uh, focus on agriculture. And yet I'm from a country that suddenly found oil and abandoned agriculture. So I started engaging a lot with the ranchers and the farmers and doing a lot of my research. This led me to catching the fire when it comes to agriculture. So this was my journey. And today we founded Vetman's Agri Partners, a subsidiary of Vetman's Resources that focuses on livestock from feedstock to the table. So we grow our own feedstock. We in our own animals, we process them hygienically and then we distribute them through our meaty mass value chain and also supply a lot of the big chains that we use to shop rice, power, and the rest of them across Nigeria. So, this, this is my story the story of uh, from oil and gas to agriculture, really, uh, which has been the story of my work in agriculture. 
Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Michael. Uh, Tyler, can you uh, give us some of the same background? Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Very well. Yeah, you're good. Okay, it's great. Mine, I don't think I have a, as colorful history as uh, Michael has, but we have some things in common. I spent about 15 years in the oil, in the oil business in Houston, and then I relocated back to Nigeria with my company, and I worked for a couple of years, and then I got tired of that. I wanted to do something, add, add more value to Nigeria and pretty much do my own thing. So I always had it back in my mind. I, you know, agribusiness, like Michael mentioned, all the opportunities, all the land, and we're just not adding value. Whether it's an oil or anything else, you just export raw, raw use. So I figured, what are the revolution that I want to play in? I've always been a fan of cashew nuts. I buy it a lot when I was when I lived out the country. And I figured uh, we are not, we're exporting like anything else. We're exporting most of our raw cashews. Let me play in that space. And that's pretty much how I, how I fell into it. So a little bit random. And so now we have a little factory process. And you know, have one leg in all business, but I'm, I mostly spend my time uh, trying to process cashews. So I hope we'll talk more. Fantastic. Good going. So, so you're uh, let of, me you're the kind of diaspora that first. we like. Not people like Bola. This is my first. Bola, Bola is a diaspora international. <laughs> Bola okay. brought me out of the packages. I didn't know so, anything about Twitter. This is my first time on Twitter. Yesterday, you had to put me through a dry run and I struggled. I'll be like, I'm pulling today like I know what I'm doing, but I, I really struggle. So yeah, let me <laughs> kick the questions off. What keeps, in the agribusiness value chain, what keeps both of you guys up at night? Hmm. It's, 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 there's, there's many things. There's many, many, many things keep me up. Right now, COVID is, is giving me a headache. You know, it's shown me how vulnerable my business is. And I think a lot of businesses are in this same boat. You know, I'm not one of the tech businesses that can operate from my laptop at home. You know, we have to, you know, all the protocols, social distancing, the kind of stuff that can be at the factory. So it's showing me how vulnerable I am, but also to the larger supply chain, which we always know you are linked to the world. But uh, there's a lot of dynamics there with price of products and price of raw materials. Matter of fact, Nigeria might not export the usual amount of produce this year because of all the ones that got damaged on farms couldn't pick the cashews. So, you know, getting quality product in, is my immediate concern this year. Michael, take it away, please. Okay. Um, no, I think um, for me, first and foremost, what keeps me up at night is the really unstructured, unstructured marketplace. I think Justin was saying when uh, we first got on the call uh, that um, agriculture accounts for 24% of the GDP, 4% of government revenue, New, but now 70% of the employment. Now, just imagine that. So there's a huge gap between what it employs, what, why does it contribute just 24% despite, despite employing 70% of the people? Because we don't have value. That's the answer. Most of the people are engaged in what we call primary production yeah. and they are on subsistence. I call it basically survival agriculture. <laughs> That's what that employment, They're not in agribusiness. On that, on that employment, exactly. So they are, they are, they are not in agribusiness. They are in agriculture as a survival mechanism. That's the 70%. That means there's a huge gap between that and a lack of efficiency. The gap between the 24 and the 4 shows you that even the government have not figured a way to hand money from agriculture. Not that they've not figured, they've forgotten how to hand money from agriculture. They used to know how to do it until they found oil. Mm. So 
but that's the reason why it is 4%, 24%, and 70%. That pretty much tells you. Now, the reason why this is also very apparent, the inefficiencies that these numbers show, is that the market for agriculture is extremely unstructured. For, for example, those of us in uh, livestock, you can take an animal that is looking very pretty, 340 kg, take it down to Lagos, think you're going to make a killing and get there, and somebody will tell you, oh, I'm going to pay just 120 kg. Two hours, you're going to bring an animal that is emaciated, quashoko driven, literally looking like it's going to die, and the person will get desperate because the market is closing up and you can't find an animal and it's willing to pay you 220k. Hmm. That kind of market is that there's no structured takeoff. So the farmer cannot plan, the farmer cannot invest, the farmer, the agribusiness now, not the obvious farmer or the survival farmer, the agribusiness cannot structure the investment for that market. And they always have to depend on intermediaries, third parties, and faith, more or less, to, in order to survive economically in that kind of market. That is what keeps me up. The second thing that keeps me up, aside from the unstructured market, is the lack of uh, skilled labor, okay. human, human resources. Because we've not invested, as a, yeah, because we've not invested in that sector for the past 30 years of the country, while the rest of the world have made tremendous progress. You hardly find anybody. In fact, agriculture in Nigeria is almost like an essay. They will tell you, like, so that they do have. That's what we do. I mean, that's what they, if you plant corn here, then you go put it. One person will tell you something now. Another guy will come and tell you their exact opposite. There's no, it's not documented. And you literally, so for us, what we have had to do is that we literally have to find kids that have no clue. They are better because I think they don't have bad experience. And then we now have to brush them up and just tell them, okay, this is what you need to do. And then improve on what you are doing over time and document it. So, you can almost see that. Combine unstructured market for your product with unstructured personality around the business. And uh, you really, agriculture business in Nigeria is, uh, when you're talking about jumping from fry pan to fire, I mean, this is literal. I mean, it is, it is a real struggle. That's what keeps me up at night. And I really, I do stay up at night, but I will talk at 3 a.m. That's the problem. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything to add to this? Before, um, uh, Justin probably has some questions to jump in. No, I think uh, most of the things that he captures, I fully agree with. I see a version of that in my own business as well. Uh, it's just, I see those are more longer-term things. They're no easy solutions. They're no quick. Well, maybe they are easy solutions if you can if you will do them. And, you know, the whole, when you're in manufacturing or in some parts of the agricultural value chain, you do experience all the challenges with Nigeria. Whether it's what when I'm trying to bring equipment in, whether it's the business environment, infrastructure, the roads. It costs me more to bring cashews, from maybe Edo State to Lagos, than when I ship stuff from China on a container. Really? All that, it doesn't make sense. So there, there, there are many things like that. So infrastructure, the business environment, it's not just for us in the agri, agribusiness value chain. It's for a lot of businesses in Nigeria having similar challenges. But for me, more immediate now, more immediate current environment, next one, two, three months, the drop, the COVID, you know, how to manage my staff, how to make sure I retain them. Those are more the near-term operational things. But what Michael's alluding to are all important and more longer-term structural for us. There's many. I don't want to start going through all of them. Maybe when we come back, there's quite a number of challenges. Okay. Definitely. Justin, you want to jump Yeah, I mean, this is um, very interesting. And I, I like the fact that we have guys um, talking about this today who who have rolled up their sleeves. And, I mean, if I was talking about this, it would basically be armchair analysis, right? But you guys are right in the thick of it. You have skin in the game. And um, that's what makes it all the more intriguing for me because then we can extract what the real pain point is. I think one of the key takeaways that we would like to achieve here in this conversation is to have a clear idea of where the gaps are and 
what the possibility or what what the necessary interventions for those gaps would look like from a policy perspective, number one. And number two, from an opportunity perspective, I personally believe that chaos is a ladder, right? I be, I'm, I'm in the school of, what's his name, that went to try Cecil Lannister and she killed him cheaply in Game of Thrones. Don't mind me, I had to plug Game of Thrones here, but, right? I believe chaos is a ladder. <laughs> like Littlefinger said, I, I believe chaos is a ladder. In all of the chaos that we have, because there is absolute chaos in these parts. So we went from circa... 65% export earnings contribution in agriculture as of 1969 to below 5% currently. It's madness. That's retrogression in, every, in any way you want to look at it. And it's easy for us to point the fingers at the usual suspects, oil, right? But there are countries that also had oil and they didn't become reckless like my father's generation apparently did. But this is where we are. So where do we go from here? Bola had asked you guys what bothers you. Okay? I give you an instance of the kind of thing that, that bothers me. I look at a situation where, take cocoa, for instance, which was one of the main, and still remains one of the main export crops in Nigeria and one of the largest cash crops that we produce. We have remained, like you rightly said, Michael, in the production segment. And stats have it that in the entire cocoa value chain, Farming, production accounts for just 6% of value addition. The rest of the value in the cocoa value chain, right, lies what I might call upstream. So processing, marketing, and retail. So think about the volume of chocolate that is produced in this world. Think about the volume of chocolate. That's true for every every value chain. For every value chain, exactly. I mean, this is just a a poster boy for what's happening everywhere else, right? Across the the, um, agricultural space. So what do you guys see as the opportunities for people who are brave enough to understand, like I said, that chaos is a ladder, that in spite of where this thing is, all these gaps, depending on your paradigm, constitute an opportunity, right? Yeah, it'll be tough. Nobody is saying that it would be a picnic by any stretch of imagination. But I guess to, to, to stop rambling, which I tend to do a lot, the first question I'm asking is, what kind of policy interventions do you see to offset the problems. We, we, the problems are quite glaring to anybody who cares to look. What kind of policy intervention would make sense? Because we do have policies, but a lot of the times they are counterproductive. They cancel each other out where they exist. So what kind of policy intervention do you see sustainably? There are wrong policies. And there are wrong ones too, exactly. So, so what kind do you see taking us forward? And secondly, what kind of opportunities would young people middle-aged people, where whatever your station in life is, where are the opportunities that you see? Because the space is so huge and is so underserved that there's really no competition at this point. It has to be collaboration. Because we don't, we've not even achieved food security as a country before we even start talking about exporting and then making uh, revenue from it as a country. Yeah. So I guess, uh, Michael... Yeah, I can, I, can quickly, yeah, I can quickly take that uh, with respect to... Uh, policy interventions. Let me first say, I will say something very controversial. Um, by the way, I'm known to be a controversial person, so <laughs> don't, don't mind me. Let me just say my mind. The policy we have here today, the, num- the, the, the number one when it comes to agriculture, by the way, so that's what I mean, is this insane to this idea 
year of small older farmers. Look, an engineering company owner. We have many engineers across the world. Only 1% of engineers end up being professional engineers in the first 1% we own an engineering firm. But all the engineers will be employed. So the point I'm making is that we should move this idea. You say we have all these Oibu people who come on planes and they will come and do all these USAID programs, EFID, all of these things. And the only thing they will be shouting in Nigeria is smallholder. In their own country, they don't do smallholder families. When I go with one guy in Ethiopia, uh, that, uh, that's uh, actually a very good point. One guy that is uh, in uh, Texas, he got on the phone with me. Was my mentor introduced me? My mentor, she's Mashawu, she's based in California. She connected me with him. Let's talk about farming. And I was on the phone thinking that I'd achieved something. I had 40 hectares. I was bragging, blah, blah. And the guy said, oh, great, 40 hectares. That's got me. I have 40,000 acres. Calm down. Calm down. My other advisor, uh, Mr. Womack, take us in Victoria, Texas. When I go to Texas, I go there to spend three days. We, 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 we take boats from his farm all the way to Rio Grande. Their farm extends from Victoria, Texas, all the way into Rio Grande to the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. But there's no way you can compete. You cannot compete against Dude, there's something we learned in economy. It's called economies of scale. Look, forget it. If you keep at your farmers at small scale and keep talking about small older farmers, all your government policies is directed at supporting small older farmers instead of supporting agribusiness that will employ people who will be farmers. My God, doesn't that isn't that to parlay around food security and like like trying to cure zero hunger, so to speak? Isn't that I'm not, I'm not, I'm you, you say, why you, let me tell you, they why you there, you say, why you, they know at the end of the day, look, 99% of EU and US farmers are subsidized. Mm. They know that if you keep doing your one hectare, 0.5 hectare, two plus, three plus farming, you will continue to import food from there. They need to have an export market. So to keep you down, they come here to promote the idea of smallholder. And because the heart of the African man is kind, he's thinking, oh, I don't want all my smallholder farmers to lose jobs. But it's the wrong way to think about it. Your smallholders will get jobs as laborers and employees in the big agribusiness if you promote agribusiness. So they will not do the job. Mm. There, will, there will be more jobs for everybody, and they will be doing production, processing, they will be doing, they will be doing uh, uh, export, they will be competing against Europe, and they will throw them out of the market. Let me give you an example. Nigeria has the second highest number, uh, uh, percentage of land that is arable in the world. Yet we are importing food. Wow. The world, fertile, ready, arable land. We are only cultivating 40% of it. The remaining 60% are followed. In fact, the 40% we are cultivating, when you now do deep research, you realize that only 20% of it is productive. So when you start from the level of what should you be doing as a matter of policy, direct your policy at agribusiness. And number two, there's something else that is always mitigating against agribusiness in Nigeria. I will tell you the truth. This is also another controversial thing. This is what I will to the government. Our constitution in Nigeria allows government officials to only do one business and one business alone legally. It's called farming. Again, this was a bomb that is a time bomb that was planted in our constitution. So what happens is that the government official that is handling the agricultural budget looks at it and says, why should I give it to you, Mr. Bola, if I can do farming for myself? I can legally do farming. And I'm the government official that is supposed to distribute money to these so-called smallholder farmers. So what they do is they distribute it themselves. And instead of them doing what they are supposed to do to invest in the agribusiness, they will share it to their relatives, empower two or five people, and at the end of the day, chicken out, the money goes down the drain. Nigeria has been spending money on agricultural employment, empowerment, and our production has gone down all the way. 
who have also been moving our uh, putting all this money in agricultural environment year upon year, and we are now exporting five percent of our entire export is agriculture, all the way down from seventy percent. So that tells you you are doing something. And the definition of madness is to continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. You will never get a different result. So until we delete that nonsense from our constitutional constitution and insist that civil servants, if we are going to do anything in agriculture, which must go to real existing at the business that have history, track record, that are already doing 500 hectares of land that need to now do 5,000, and it must be benchmarked. And all of those things of civil servants distributing money to political farmers, which will not get us anywhere. So those two things, our smallholder farming and our insane focus on giving empowerment to political farmers because of the time bomb in our country. Those two policy issues, Shots if we don't solve it, we'll go nowhere. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you so much, Michael. Banter. Michael has said it's mouthful. I think that, no, no, I think Michael brings up some, some of those points that are, they are interesting and, they, you know, I, I cannot argue with some of the points you've made. Uh, but I think that we also have to think about what our own economy can sustain, right? Yes. So if you are talking about large-scale farming, which I'm totally in support of, as is done in other countries, you know, it requires capital, it requires expertise, it requires technology, a lot of which we don't have or don't have enough of, or don't have the support for. Uh, Nigerian money, hammer time money, we're looking for quick returns. You know? And agriculture takes time. You have to farm, you have to develop spaces for these things and you have to have people with capital who are willing to support agriculture on that kind of a scale and i think that the government that is weak here doesn't have enough uh, people don't have enough jobs and so it's like the same way if you look at lagos and you see all the dirt on the street and you wonder why do we have all the last more officials or not even last more what do you call those ladies going around trying to keep our streets clean when you can use the street sweeper why do you have all these people? You never do it in developed countries because you know people will sue you. You have a woman in the street, she gets hit, they will sue you and that thing will be shut down. They but say they are creating employment. Exactly. Plus, plus, it's a political value chain. All of those exactly. guys are, are, so are part of same, the So that's how they them. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. When you talk about job creation, government is not doing any technology you know, in the financial space. They can easily claim that they've given you know, a bunch of jobs to farmers somewhere. Right, most of these farmers, just like the most, most most of the entrepreneurs in Nigeria, they are doing out of necessity, not because they, it's what they want to do. Ideally, it's because they don't have a choice and they have to fend for themselves. So they go sell milk on the street, or they go start farming if they have a little land. So yes, we need to do things at scale if we're going to make things work. We need to have the right policies in place. I, I cannot argue with those either. But there are many enabling things that we need: financial, technology that will support getting that vision to come to be. Let me just quickly touch on the opportunities. I think there are opportunities throughout the agribusiness value chain, from primary production, which is from from farming all the way down to if you're exporting and just distribution. I think you have to decide for yourself, you know, what are your own capabilities and what tools and assets do you have, and what part of the value chain do you think you can add value or do something different, you know, can bring value to the market, and then just play in it, right? If you think you don't have all the capital in the world you don't want to, you can't afford to set up a factory or at any scale. Maybe you can start with distribution. Maybe you can start with farming. Maybe you can start with storage, transportation, logistics. Yeah. Pick wherever you want to be in the value chain. And you can always backward or forward integrate at success. Right? So that, that, that's my own. But I think there are opportunities everywhere and everything in Nigeria. It's how to make it work in the crazy environment that we live in. And that's the art of the deal. That's how you have to come up with your own business model that works for you.
Okay, let me just ask thank, you a thank you question much. on that, Tayo. Sorry, Mr. Moderator. Yes, So, from speaking to it experientially, right? I mean, you're in the business. If, mm-hmm. again, in solving problems, a lot of the times, prioritization is very critical because you probably cannot solve all the problems at the same time. But in your experience, what would you say is the biggest headache that if it's taken on now would yield immediate impact across the board for you, right? And then maybe probably trying to rank them, maybe top three, and which one would you take out first and how? So you mean for my particular business or just an agribusiness value chain as a whole? I mean, the best way to speak to things, I think, is to speak from your experience, which is why I keep going back to you're already doing it. So there are a lot of blind spots people like me might have. All right. So I think there are a lot of systematic things that ultimately affect businesses in Nigeria as well as my business. The business environment is very difficult. And what I mean by that, like I said, I alluded to one before, the infrastructure, having to pay more in transportation, certain parts of the country because we don't have rail or the roads are too bad, it takes too long, you know, to get produce from one part of the country to another part of the country. So that ultimately increases my production cost, right? So infrastructure needs to be better. All right, and that includes power. You know, uh, burning diesel generators is not the best thing to do anyway. It's too expensive; it doesn't make sense. But we have to use it if I want to operate a business. You know, so that environment has to be better from the government side. From from, from outside of the government side, staff. Oh, we lost him. Oh, damn! We lost that yeah. Tyler. Okay, well, um, um, Michael, I don't know if you want to take so, it. So Tyler, we'll try to get him on. I, I think it said two things which are very valid. Transport very, very valid. and power. I, I would say, yes, I would say for me, I think about the agriculture sector in, because again, I'm unique in the sense that so I, I don't see agriculture in the one dimension problems magically. Uh, we have to produce our feedstock. We currently farm about 200 hectares and we're going to increase that next year to about 1,000 hectares. And the next year after that, we have a 5,000 hectare target, target to produce grains, both rice and maize that will go to feed our livestock, which we then uh, put into the marketplace. And we also grow grass. So we are, we are also big grass farmers. So this year we have about 25 hectares of bacteria grass. You mean grass is your business? That okay. we can feed into the seed system. <laughs> one of my, one of my guys. <laughs> <laughs> it is a business, my brother. One of, one of my mentors in this business made about 25 million naira selling grass this year, this year alone. Let's talk about this grass matter, please. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, grass is a big business. Uh, you can aggressive about grass and once you plant it, it will be there for 25 years. It's like a, it's like a mortgage. It will pay for itself. So, and the thing you'll be harvesting, you'll be selling it to people. So they will be, they'll be buying from you. One, one, kilogram, one kilogram of a grass is 3,000 air. More expensive than a kilogram of rice. Ah, yeah, yeah. I need 10 kilograms to plant one hectare. So you need 30,000 naira to plant one hectare. Michael, you're my, you're you're my new best profit, friend. Right? You're my new best friend. But I'll no, please shift. I, 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 I told you, you love this. But I'll shift, right? shift, shift. I don't see your face. <laughs> <laughs> This is interesting. So, um, uh, so you guys, grass, grass has a service. Uh, we're starting that next week. There's money to be made in agriculture. But the thing is this. Because of this perspective, right, I see 
agricultural problem in the three dimensions of the factors of production. The first one is land. Look, eh? Don't let anybody deceive you. If Nigeria also solve its land problems, eh? We are going to maximizing what we talk about when we say our aggregate, very high percentage of arable land. Why is that? Currently, land is extremely disaggregated. When you see all those forests on your way between uh, Lagos and uh, Benin, and yeah. you think that they don't have owners, you try go and clear one hectare, you will suddenly see the real owners to come out from the bush. So, do you think suddenly, that? Do you think fathers, that? Fathers, fathers, fathers. So, um, do you think, Michael, that the Land Use Act is is part of that challenge, or is it the landholders themselves? The thing about Nigeria, no. The, the thing about Nigeria is that we do reforms. Right? We did that 1979 reform. Land Use Act was the right reform to be in 1979. But it's already outdated. Yeah, it's not really So what you need today. to do is that you need to, con- yeah, you, you, you need to consistently reform. Reform is not a single action. It's mm-hmm. a continuous process. It's continuous improvement. Yeah. So the Land Use Act is good because it suddenly allows and best land in the governor. It allows the governor to aggregate land. Our governors, okay. however, have shied away from doing that because of politics. Right. So what we now what we now discover is that yes, the land use act is there. One, you have to go and buy the land from the real landowner. Then you now need to go also go and accept, go and meet the governor to get your vote. So you have now created two uh, two layers of for friction in the farmer. Exactly. Okay. Instead of you solving the problem, so what you could have done is after the land use act, okay, you've done the first stage. The second stage of the reform now is to say, fine, every land that is in the hand of communities, for example, you can get community titles. We need to title every single inch of land in Nigeria. And it has to be automatic. And we can achieve it just like the way we've refused to do identity reforms, identity identity management of human beings. <laughs> we've refused to do identity <laughs> management of land. And until we do identity <laughs> management of land, you will never be able to unlock Baba. Until you will not be able to unlock the money in land. Look, land Shots. is Nine hundred billion dollars is locked up in land in Nigeria. And we cannot use our land to go and borrow money from the bank. Yeah, my brother yeah. is talking about capital and finance. Most farmers across the world, if you are a farmer in Texas, they go, my own way, you, you just take your land site, you go to Bank of America, they will give you money. And then you can plant because you will make 400%. Look, if you do corn in Nigeria and your yield is five tons per hectare, you will make 400% of the money you planted. It's guaranteed if you do the right farming practice. So the banks don't have any problem with your yield. You do insurance, yield insurance, yield index insurance to insure you for three to four tons per hectare. So you know at the minimum you will make two or two hundred pieces. So Michael, today the yeah. government has just um even if your blood comes and carries all the two hundred Are you there? Michael, I'm sweating. Michael, I'm sweating right now. I have <laughs> I have, I have, I mean, hey. <laughs> it, it, this is exciting really. So the government just told the CBN to stop funding from valid for FX transactions that have to do with maize products, right? What does this mean for a maize farmer or for someone interested in going into maize farming? On the on the front side of it, what, what it immediately means is it's going to be more expensive to bring maize and maize products into Nigeria. So where the strategy is, import substitution. What vista of opportunity does that ban on financing of, not ban on importation of maize, in case anybody's listening, ban on financing of importation of maize using government effects. 
Yeah, that's yeah, what the government yeah. has done. Exactly. So what does this mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to trigger Michael Lowe. Yes, okay, I back. said mid as at January of this year. Oh, we lost. Oh, Michael. we lost. We lost Michael. Don't worry, your videos All right, people. So we not... have Coco deal on, um, and they work in commodities pricing. So while we are trying to get Michael on, maybe a few seconds, a few minutes to talk about the pricing angle with a lot of the things that we've been talking about. So please go ahead. Hi, Coco hey, good deal. Good to you. This is for joining. Welcome to Serious Banter. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, yes, please go ahead. Loud and clear. Okay, very good. Uh, the thing that we need to understand, first of all, is that Nigeria is a big place to play. Oh, we lost it. Bola, your village people are here. Please, can you I don't know. do whatever uh, you do to have peace there, please, please? This conversation is too exciting. Yeah, you don't hear business. Not the two people, but you don't hear business. Oh, <laughs> more people are selling grass, Bola. People are selling grass. Yeah. I'm, down. Okay, okay. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Uh, don't worry. You make grass money. <laughs> now, I was going to tell you that in January, maize was selling for like 9,000 naira a ton. But that increased to about 110,000 naira ton during COVID because because of COVID, they closed the border so maids cannot enter Nigeria again. All the people bringing maids to Nigeria could not bring it. Yeah. I think anyway, you can look at all these prices if you go to FX.com, FX commodity, you can see these prices. It's there, transparent, you can see. By May, that same maids was selling for about 130,000, For me, since I've been a maids farmer for three years, I've not seen that price in a while. So I told my guys, I said, offload. The day after Fomem was banned, me jumped to 175,000 era. Wow. The vision And that starts from making sure the farmer, farmer is not poor. So anybody that goes on Twitter and all those social media and all of that advocating for low prices for food, I look at them that they are mad. Because we farmers don't want to be poor. Why, why should you get low prices? You don't, food is more important than fuel. Now you're paying more for fuel. And you want me to be, to be doing food for you. And you want to be buying it cheap. No, it will not be cheap. Shots fired. It will not be cheap. It <laughs> uh, will not be cheap. There's no cheap food. What will we do? I cannot power <laughs> Farmers need to be rich. Look, when farmers are rich, let me tell you, we have another problem. I can you are my new best friend. Farmers, oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I tell you something, they believe me. As soon as I tell you. <laughs> Look, you have another problem. We you must make this farmer problem. money. Yeah, so they are between 55 and 60 years old. They are estimating right by 2030, farmers, their age will rise from 75 to 80 years old. That's mad. We need to attract young people into farming. And the only way we can do that is to change the vision of what the farmer looks like. The farmer, needs, we should stop posting pictures of a development finance institution. He will show a woman with a basket on her head, a baby on her back, and a woman in the black. That's a bad image. Our farmer, our farmer must be with laptop inside a tractor and enjoying himself. And flying private jet. That is the kind of farmers we want to be. And that means that people must pay the right price. Look, Nigerians today, half of what we produce is wasted because the farmer is under pressure to push stuff to the market during the rainy season, uh, at the end of the harvest season. And the farmer gets nothing for all his efforts. And then the middlemen capture all the efforts and then they go and enjoy themselves and then they come back to come and beat the farmer again. So the farmer remains perpetually poor. And the unit of the farmer remains out of poverty. So what we need to do is that we are doing the right thing now. 
they are beginning to do their rights. Look, you have land. If all of you, uh, foreign, uh, foreign rights have been banned. Local rights have not killed anybody. My even my wife that used to like foreign rights before now her taste has converted. She now likes local rights. I can look at corn. You see, after a while, all of us will now start catching things. They will now start to look. If all of us start. So, let me just add one or two things to Michael's. Uh... Yeah, go ahead, Ty. Yeah, Ty, jump in. My correct guy. He's the one that is producing money for farmers. Michael is increasing my temperature. So somebody needs to bring it down. <laughs> no, I, <don't. laughs> no I, was, uh, I, I was I was liking some of the things that uh, Michael was mentioning. Indeed, I, I really agree with some of the things he's saying. Like, for instance, I remember when I was trying to start my own business, and then we, we leased some land from Oyo State Government, and we're going around the different farms and trying to learn about uh, cashew farms. No, those farms, all those farms that I used to see, they were all old guys, you know. And I said, well, the youth in this community that are looking for, they've all gone to Lagos and the big cities. Right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do any farming. They don't find it sexy. Nobody's there. And the only young guys I'll see were always from Benin Republic who come across the border to come work, right? Because they didn't have enough people to work the land. So I found that very interesting. So we're looking for, we're looking for work, we're looking is, for farmers, but there's not enough of them to do it. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see that a lot. And also, you know, Michael also mentioned about how rods and stuff and how impatient and see, like, Nigerian cashew, there's no reason it shouldn't be as good as some of the ones we have the best in the world. But we always have challenges with uh, post-harvest practices. So cashew, for instance, needs to drop to the ground before it's ready. And when, when, the, when the price is hot in the market, these guys start taking off the trees before it's ready. So you get a lot of immature cashews. Or people have the cashews on there, but they don't have enough to go pick it up. And by the time you pick it up, it's, it's infected, you know, the quality is bad and stuff. So there's so many, many challenges. But then it's, that's where all the opportunities are. Just simple storage, simple primary processing, drying, basic stock, you know, to get materials from the markets, to, uh, from, the, from the farms to the market in a reasonable amount of time. So there's, 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 there's many, many opportunities in value chain. You just have to find which one works for you. I know a girl, a lady that does uh, uh, um, greenhouse, greenhouse, right? And uh, where, where? Hello, Ty. Ty, are you there? We've lost him. Ooh. He was saying that he knows somebody who's doing greenhouse farming. There's a lot of that going on, actually. There's somebody right. Yeah, in the I, I, I was just interested in knowing the exact location. Uh, See, somebody in the middle to... of phase one, lucky phase one, doing a hydroponic farm. So they grow vegetables. They grow, you know, the small household veggies that you need on an everyday basis. Lettuce, cabbage, all right. tomatoes, all of that. Right inside of Lekki. Interesting. Coco Deal tried to get on. LSX Sam asked to join. Uh, there are some around also asked to join. Any of you guys that ask, I'll, I'll bring you on real fast. The, the thing I was saying about land reform, look at the World Bank had done it for They said, if you fix your land, Nigeria, there was a there was a PwC report that was released that talked about 900 billion dollars of land wealth on land. as a country focused on land reforms. We put money immediately in the pocket of farmers. How mm. you will bring about tightening? They will be able to borrow money. They will not be able to flow that money back into production and productivity. from productivity. But the reality is that the farmer cannot even think about productivity now because production is not even is not even feeding it. He has to borrow to send his children to school. 
And that child comes to you and tell him, I want to be a farmer. He will say, we will want to swear for that child. That no, don't come to me with that kind of ambition. Because that's <laughs> your father's a farmer. So we need to change the vision of the farmer by allowing them to put money in their pockets, which is the biggest asset they have, which is land. That is one. And then after we do land reform, after we now unlock the capital, we now unlock financial capital, which is the second point of what I'm making. And because we've unlocked financial capital, we'll be able to invest in human capital. And after you've done human capital, then you now sequentially move on to the next one, which is, which to me is very critical. That's human capital part of it. It's now when you now start doing IP, you now start developing technology. That is the labor side of things. So there are three factors of production, land, money, and human capital, labor. You can, yes. They are linked. How you do your reform, again, it's about thinking about your policy in a structural framework. The problem is that we have a lot of people in Nigeria deciding for farmers and deciding farming policy, and most of them have not done farming before. They even hate farming in their mind. But when they get to farm, the government jobs, for them, farming is the way they can quickly get elected. 70% of voters are farmers, so naturally it makes sense for you to empower farmers in order to get voted in. So you start shouting farming, agriculture, farming, but they've not done farming in their life. They can't even stand the rigors of farming. So they don't understand the real problem. Look, let's start with land reforms. Let's unlock money into the bucket of farmers. Let's farm, let's be able to aggregate land. Look, my own community, which I'm from, we are we are landowners in the in the Any of you that want to buy land can talk to me. But the problem I'm is definitely I'm to plugging do now, so you can I just want to grow. Uh -huh. Mine is not long thing. Yes. <laughs> no, we are we are landowners. But the thing is that that land today now half of it is lost. A lot of people have encroached on it and all that. The community does not have uh, the community does not have title. What Mike has said about the problem of agriculture being production is what a farmer production is the problem. I think we're also looking at it from a different angle. As much as we have subsistence, um, subsistence from a smallholder farmer to between 0 0.6 hectares to 2 hectares, one of the ways we should look at it is cluster farming. So we have some land, um, two plot of land, six plots, which is um, one acre, and 15 plots, which is one hectare. Sam, your sound is a bit low. Sam, your sound is a bit low. Okay. Can you hear me better now? Yes, yes, Much yes. better now. Okay, so. Okay, so you have smallholder farmers who are farming in different, different locations and using much more resources farming in very far loca locations that are very far apart. Cluster farming is actually one of the best ways to aggregate these um, farmers together and get them to get to yield increase. So farming production is not necessarily a problem. We're farming on very large amounts of land, but we're getting very low yield. Take a look at maize. Maize, um, our, average, our national yield average is 1.8. Egypt is doing, Egypt and South Africa are doing 7.7. .7. They are doing like around 7 point, um, yeah, 7.7 .7, um, metric tons per hectare. But we're doing 1.8 metric tons per hectare in Nigeria. So you see the difference in yield. And yield, the problem for, of yield is, is it's not just small, it's not just straight seeds. There's a lot of things, the kind of fertilizer we use, how much fertilizer we use, and a whole lot of things go into this. So it's not just about, Saying, hey, these guys are doing subsistence uh, farming. These guys are smallholder farming. It's not. It's not just um in how the the mass of land you you, you plant. It's in how much you get. Take this guy real quick. Basically, I, I'm more interested in um yield. Okay. So while we're pointing, while we're pointing like these figures on primary production, I think we should start looking at how to increase his yield to be able to get that farmer 
the money that Michael is talking about. So someone needs to get money. So if he keeps going the way he's going, the average for money, if he keeps going the way they are going, man, there's no money in agriculture. So, so Sam, what you're saying in summary is that yield is an output side manifestation of an input side problem, i.e. the kind of technology that we're using on the input side, Thank you. the farming practices on the Thank input you. side, and then it shows us up as poor yield on the other end. All right. Got it. Thank you. I'm going to be leaving that in the next minute, so let me just, hopefully we can have more of these conversations, uh, Paula. But yeah, I think that, that Sam, Sam, has, Sam has, has spoken well. The yield is a big challenge. I see it in my, in my own thing as well. Cashew in, in the whole of Africa, I think we get less than half a ton per hectare, not acre, per hectare. While, you know, other places in the world, they get one to two, right? And so, it's, and, and cashew requires you know, a lot of farmland to, to get some reasonable amount of it. So, yes, we need to do more. We need to get more, uh, you know, do, get, get more with less. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw there was a National Geographic article that came out like a few years ago about how Netherlands was a superpower house for agriculture. You know, they're using technology, they're using, you know, people are well-trained, they access to capital, and you're able to do a lot of things. In Nigeria, you can't get that done because those farmers are farming the way they, are, they were told, you know, years ago. There's been no real improvement. There's no mechanized farming. They don't know what part of their farmland needs more water or more manure, you know. So all that comes into play, and that's why financing, having the right partnerships, you know, technology can get you those yields, but not with the way we're doing things. So Sam brings up a very good point. Mm. But I think I'll have to join you guys again some other time. I have to yeah, yeah. It looks yeah. like it, it looks, there needs to be a part two, so we'll definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll well, definitely this this, this is a long, a long run conversation. We have to keep it going. Jospi, calm down. Oh, All right. Grass is <laughs> so, so Michael, do you want to touch on the conversation about you? Kosan was talking about you, but you were off there. I don't know how oh, much you thought about right. it. No, I, I heard a little bit about it. Look, um, it's right on. Cluster farming. Uh, yes, cluster farming is a good transitional thing that needs to be done alongside the transitional process of land tenure. Recognizing the fact that, look, Nigeria originally did not necessarily belong to individuals. Sometimes it belonged to communities. Yeah. And states can help. States can create what they call land banks. Again, these areas where I think the technology and disruptors can work. You can bring in blockchain or whatever to try to disrupt these if the government works with the private sector to figure out the innovation. You can have communities take their land and deposit it in land banks. And if a farmer or a, an agribusiness can come and say, I want to secure land, I want to borrow land from the land bank, and X percent of my yield based on it, some kind of monitoring process is going to go back or it's going to be, you have to pay a certain fee every year for using that land. And then that land, that money goes as almost like an interest into the land bank, and they can share it to the depositors. Hmm, that's right? a very interesting so concept. The states can come up, states can come up with a land bank system if they are thinking. The problem with Nigeria, as usual, I've said it again. Everybody is looking at federal government. Federal government, look at your constitution. The owners, the owners of the most important product in Nigeria is the governor. Your governors are more powerful than the president. Hmm. Get anything they tell you under Nigeria's constitution. This land reform must happen at the state level. States must use their medulla of blogant, our lead, our government to stop flying private jets all around the world and try you know, our government they only discover their they only discover their power. Michael, Michael, we agree that we agree. We agree, but we still say our governors only discover their power under the constitution when they want to oppress opponents. But when 
to Shots. use their medulla oblongata to fix the country. They don't. Nigeria, even power is in the residual list. It's not on exclusive list. People don't know this. I'm an electrical engineer. I've studied that constitution. Power is on uh, residual this list. Right, meaning man. that both states, both states and federal government can produce power for you. But you never see any governor campaigning that they produce power for their state. Everybody will be looking at federal government. The other Nigerian constitution, states have more opportunities to earn income and revenue, especially from this agriculture. They can earn income from property taxes if they unlock the value in land. They can earn income from PE if they have our people employed. They should stop running around looking for investors in China when we have money in Nigeria sitting in our bank, earning 3% on fixed deposits that could be unlocked into agriculture oh, well, and can COVID, produce food to feed our COVID, people and export to the rest of the world. COVID has ended that one. All of us are inside here now. Nobody's going anywhere. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear all of us do anything. So, 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 my brother, no, let me answer your question very well around you. I like that you let me tell you why that you want to support Let me tell you that you want You don't understand this. It's a big problem. I read this thing. This, I will send you the screenshot when, when I get off this program. Mechanization as it is done today in the United States and the big countries in the world has what they call a BTU yield index, productivity of 200. That means you put in one, you get 200. It's done in uh, Egypt and India. And China, by all these uh, Vietnamese people, you see them with their booze. They will pull in plowing something. That has a yield index of between 30 to 50. That means you put in one, you get 30 to 50. The one that was done by Stone Age men, when man, when we first started to do farming, was 1.1. 1. 1. 1.1. 1. 1. That means you get to put in one, you get 1.1 1. 1 based on your mechanization. So far ahead. The one, the slash, the, uh, hey, the slash and uh, cost burning that was popular in West Africa is 1.5. I will not go to Sofayed. They are doing 1.5. Stone Age man, 3,000, 12,000 years ago, when we discovered agriculture, was doing 1.1. America is doing 200. China and India and all the rest are doing 50. We are doing 1.5. And we keep encouraging smallholder farmers. We need, though, we need mechanized farming. It's okay, we need to it's bring okay. our Michael brain, our intuition. Michael. Hi, guys. <laughs> Michael, off your mic. Michael. It's okay. Michael, I don't know, I don't know who made you angry. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Oh, wait. Uh, Michael, let's bring in Ziggy. Ziggy, you read a lot of stuff that I've been saying, right? Yeah, um, you know, I've been, I've been listening to that. Shots fired. Uh, different perspectives. I think Michael's perspective is one very interesting perspective, especially coming from somebody who's with a lot in the space, but I think there was a guy called Sam that came on earlier on, and uh, he spoke. He spoke about, about something that kind of like speaks to me, which is uh, the problem with yield that we have right now. A lot of these farmers are not using things like you know certified seeds and fertilizers. You understand? And if you don't actually have those you know quality inputs, farmers to use to actually produce, the chances that they're going to get crappy yields. You know, and it's not so much about increasing the size of land that they have per se. It's just about kind of like doing what's called like fertilizer use efficiency on that same farm, farmland and then also applying, you know, proper techniques. You know, I'm also in the space, I'm kind of like working in the space at the moment. Yeah, can you talk about innovation that you're trying to work on? It's okay, so for me, Michael, I feel like we are where we are, right? And essentially, we can't necessarily wait for government to come because governments, yeah, are not really interested in empowering anybody. They're interested in making money, right? For me, my innovation is more around essentially providing capital for these farmers, right? Digitizing that whole uh, process of providing capital for these farmers by helping them to get quality access to quality inputs. But for me, the key thing there is also promoting fertilizer use efficiency because it's not just about you know 
providing the inputs for these guys, also having them understand how to actually apply those inputs to get the maximum yield they can possibly get on their soil. You understand? So that's where me are more focused in right now. But at the end of the day, access to capital is a big problem for them. These guys don't have the money to get the, the inputs they need, right? They're using uh, seeds from previous seasons. Some of them are not even applying fertilizer. The craziest part is that talking about techniques and good farming practice, some of them don't even know how to apply fertilizer even if you give it to them. Some people are applying the wrong. I'm, dude, I kid you not, because I just bought fertilizer for some farmers recently. And I'm talking to a farmer, somebody who I think is probably where, uh, he's educated. He's not even the illiterate type of farmer. He's actually an educated guy. And I'm talking to him, and he's telling me about applying this, uh, a certain kind of compound fertilizer almost a month after farmers have planted. And I'm like, do you know that that's not what you're supposed to be applying right now for optimal yield? For in your mind, just looking at it. Uh, let me ask you a question. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Yes. Okay. What was your previous industry that you used to work in? Me, I was in the IT space. I have an electrical engineering background. I work I in telecom. Correct guy. Ah, you are, you are the one that went to school. You are an electrical engineer. You went to school. Yes. Don't mind the big That was studied computer engineering. I don't think you didn't go to school. That but was a three penalty make or three make or penalty. So, shots now. Shots fired. Uh, shots fired. Yeah, thank you. See, will you give a web developer the job of the guy that is supposed to be developing an application. Will you give a system administrator the job of someone that is supposed to be working on database? Please of course not. I've heard about specialization before. The same man will do specializer. The same man will want to drive tractor. The same man will want to do... Why? It doesn't make sense. Even the farming we do here is not farming. It's all bees. It's the survivors. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you, know, you, see, if you see the way, if you see the way, you, one man cannot do everything. That's the thing. One man wants to do, wants to be able to do maize. Uh, uh, then he, the same person will tell you that he's an expert in a in a uh, growing orchard. The same guy will tell you he's an expert in poultry. How much can he put in his head? There's a reason why the moment when we got into industrialization, we started what we call specialization, division of labor. Mm-hmm. Because everybody will become an expert in the area where they are. And what we are gladly calling farmers in Nigeria are basically manual labor. That's what we they are. Mm. They are not people that should know what they do. What they need to have, they will have an agronomist. They will have mm-hmm. people who are specialists, and they will direct mm-hmm. them. They are they are just farm labors, unskilled farm labors. The one, yeah, the one so that Donald Trump. Essentially, we are essentially we are saying this. I guess we are kind of speaking to the same thing. Understand? So, like speaking to what you said, a lot of these guys are not educated. So, yes, they definitely guide and they they definitely advice on how to actually. For me, maximize the input, you know, the output they can get from their farms. And for me, I'm choosing to go through the whole quality input because I feel like it's really that step, right? You know, there's something called the two legs in agriculture, which is seeds and fertilizer. If you don't have that, even if you have good practices and techniques and all that kind of stuff, chances are your your output is going to be minimal, right? It's not going to be optimal essentially. So for me, that's just my two cents when it comes to this whole industry. There's a lot, of, and for me, I don't feel like everybody needs to focus on the smallholder farmers, right? Because that's kind of what's always promoted. There are other different aspects of the agricultural value chain. Like there are other places where people can add value. It doesn't have to be just smallholder farmers, you know? Yeah, so that's I, my two cents, Sharri. Yeah, before you jump off, I was going to comment on that. Mm-hmm. I, love what, I love what you're doing, right? Yeah. Now, how would, how would you, in the context of what you're doing, address 
the processing layer risk, right? So let's assume you train these guys and they get the fertilizer input management right, yeah. get the farm practices right. You know, this is like a fourth mm-hmm. stage. Uh, the, the value chain is like a fourth stage one where you have input, production, processing, and then you have marketing and trade yeah. on the other side. Now, whatever you do on the mm-hmm. input side that improves the process, a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. That's what they say. Whatever you do on this layer, yeah. when you get to processing, so all that high output that comes out of proper fertilizer management is going to meet a, mm-hmm. choke, a choke point when you get to processing. Are you looking at that? Yeah. Are you hedging for that? Risk? Of course. So that of course. You see, I feel, like, I feel like the agriculture industry is based on partnerships. Right, so you feel like you're only going to go and focus on just the smallholder farmer. You kind of, I feel like you know, you're not looking at the bigger picture, because even if they make, they have all this increase in yield and more output, and they don't have a market to sell it, then they're still stuck in the same position. Exactly, you understand. So for me, I'm also working. So me, I'm not just working on just the partnerships between the smallholder farmers and the buyers, for example. So I'm also working on the partnerships with other people, other like agro dealers within the state. You understand? It's a value chain thing. So. For me, my farmers, for example, the goal is to try to connect them to a market where they can actually sell their produce. Whether it's somebody who's buying directly through me, buying direct, uh, directly through me from the farmers, right? At the end of the day, you have to provide that avenue for this guy to sell their produce, right? Otherwise, they're still stuck in the same situation. So I'm taking that into consideration. I'm also taking into partnering with the agro dealers, the guys who are actually providing, you know, the inputs for these guys to actually be able to give them data on information about these farmers as well as things like, you know, uh, yeah, so profile. But, you know, w- one thing I was really focusing on was kind of like, first of all, trying to understand the soil profile of these guys' farms and thinking about things like, you know, thick blends. And I spoke to somebody in Notori actually yesterday, he works with the, directly with the MD of Notori. He said that, you know, the problem with fertilizer in this country, right, is that the, the amount of money it takes to actually bring those raw materials into the country, especially now that you have COVID, right? It doesn't, mm. it doesn't make sense from an economic perspective. But in Nigeria today, it's blanket fertilizer. Somebody just created create fertilizer and the government sells it to everybody to go and use. You know, so I think that these are all the things that we look on how kind of like, you know, these guys are already stuck the farm, right, for example. So I'm more focused on how do I help them use what they have to be more productive, right? And how do I help them get access to money that they can actually afford to use? Not that you give somebody money and then the money, the person cannot actually afford to pay you back the money. So I'm more focused on that. So of course, the helping them with, uh, improve their yields and then connecting them to buyers. As well as also connecting them to the agro dealers that will provide the inputs uh, to, to give them to help them with the production. So that's why I'm kind of focused. And then digitizing that, right? Uh, I would like to talk about things like the possibility of implementing machine learning in, 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 in agriculture. But I feel like that can be a totally different conversation just because of the data that you kind of need for, for this prediction sometimes and the fact that we don't really we don't really have much data. You, know, you want to find data about farming and yield that this farmer is very difficult to come across. As with most things. Yeah. Right? But I'll tell you, Sha, a place where people can actually play in, just aside from, you know, trying to actually work directly with these uh, farmers and provide them access to capital, you can still do things like machine learning and things like, you know, uh, and disease detection, for example. You were, uh, Michael was talking about 50% of you know, of uh, being lost every year, right? Some of which is in stories. Because of the story, some of it is because of transportation and the process of trans- transporting it. Well, some of it actually happens on the farmland as well. You know, the farmers are not able to identify, you know, when they are actually having a problem with their crop, and then they wait till it's too long, where they're not applying a lot of chemicals. I spoke to somebody who is big in rice and telling me that 
farmers are applying fields, weeds and are actually harming the crops because they waited too long to actually apply that. If they are known that, okay, at this point in time, at the emergence of this weed, we need to remove this thing right now. Or, you know, at the emergence of a certain disease, they're able to detect that early enough. And they're actually able to, you know, be proactive. But the truth is these farmers don't have this knowledge. And what I'm trying to do is innovate around that, where I can also empower, you know, extension agents to be able to liaise with these farmers and kind of like, you know, help them along the cropping cycle to improve their yield and uh, provide an avenue for them to sell their produce. Quick one, Ziggy. So I know that yeah. one of the mm-hmm. one of the biggest innovations in in farm management recently has been using drone technology for things like pesticide <laughs> application and all of that, right? I don't yeah. know if that's yeah. something that you are it's part of what you're doing, but I do know that again, one of the policy constraints that we have, one of the crazy things that we did in this country was to say we wanted to regulate drone technology, and so they placed it under the office of the National Security Advisor. So for you to use drones, for even hobby drones, right, you have to go to the office of the National Security Advisor to get a permit. Is that something you have a view to? What's playing out in that space? And- no, I'm not even looking. I'm not looking at that at all, you know, because the agricultural space is quite big. You know, you have your smallholder farmers, you have, you know, medium to large farmers. Think about it. The, my ta- of course, if, if that is your ta- your target uh, customer segment, by all means, go into it. But I feel like that already is a problem, and that's kind of part of the reason. But apart from even going to the NSC to go and get the permits to fly a drone, uh, how are the farmers going to pay for this? Service? If you don't have a big farm, can you real- as a smallholder farmer, can you realistically pay for drone services? It's going to have to be subsidized by somebody else. Yes. Right? It's either you find a way to build your model where somebody else pays for it and the farmer gets the benefit, because you have a small holder farmer, you can't even afford to buy fertilizer and seed. Is it drone? You're not come and telling me you want to fly. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Thank you, Ziggy. Just hang on, I beg. Just hang on. So, we're, we're actually going to go, we're going to go up to the top of the hour, but we need to get some things done. No problem. So, we have our plug, plug, plug your stuff segment right now. And what we typically do is we bring you a startup or a small business or whatever stage that you are in. And, um, whether you're launching a new product, a new startup, or you're launching a new service, we'll bring you on, give you two minutes, you shoot real quick, and, and you tell everybody what they need to know about what they're doing, uh, and then feedback from anyone, they can ask you questions and everything. So I have Emmanuel from Crop to Cast, which is actually very relative to what we're talking about. And then after that, I'm going to get uh, um, Edmond to talk about his new buy bot product. This is serious. So, Ziggy, I'll bring you back on the note because I need to bring Edmund up. So, I'll bring you back in the short while. Shall we begin? All right, uh, Imano, please go ahead. Oh, actually, my name is Michael. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) Michael from Castle. Michael, number two. Yeah, all right. So, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, glad to be here. My name is Michael. Uh, I lead the team at Crop to Cash, and at Crop to Cash, we are making uh, formal financing accessible to uh, farmers um, while assuring financial institutions of their lending capital. In a nutshell, what we've built is an operating system for agricultural lending. So, <laughs> so generally, we're talking about access to finance and how crazy and how big it is um, for farmers. But finance is the most important bit in agriculture because. If you want to bring in drones or quality seeds or quality fertilizer, whatever it is, someone has to finance it. Like there, there, there has to be money involved. 
And uh, but then at the same time, um, it's like a chicken and egg problem. Before the financing comes in, the right sort of a sort of integration with people in the value chain uh, has to exist. So, for example, the first thing is the farmers that you want to finance. Do they actually know? Um, do they have the right education? Do they know even how to apply these fertilizers? That's the first step. So when you find farmers that actually understand these things and um, you want to finance them, how would they get access to the imputes and the seeds that you want to you know, provide? How would they get access to the mechanization, aggregators and optics and insurance? If all of these pieces are not, um, if all of these pieces are not in place, you're not going to get credit from um, financial institutions. And that's, that has been the, uh, a major problem in agricultural finance chain so far. So at Crop to Cash, we're pretty much just solving all of these um, challenges along the value chain uh, with technology, making it easy for farmers to pay and get paid and then build a digital financial profile while getting access to credit. All right. All right. Do you have any questions to share with us? And do you, do you have any requests? What are you looking for? Do you need partnership, investment, anything like that? So they just wrap up. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we've built different technology solutions along the value chain. And, for example, uh, Mr. Osage, that was on the call now, I think solutions around how can you pay your farmers when when you buy from them, making it easy to pay the farmers. Um, how can you easily connect the farmers to the mechanization that they need and so on and so forth. So we have this mobile app that's like a, I don't like this term, but like a super app for agriculture where agents, extension agents can aggregate the demand for different agricultural services. So you you don't have to be on the field. We don't have to be on the field, but other people that are on the field can easily aggregate the demand for mechanization. So um, clustering farmers together and then requesting mechanization on behalf of, say, 20, 30 farmers. So bringing economies of scale into your production. And I mean, um, if these are some of the things that um, you are facing in your agricultural, you know, endeavor, um, yeah, you can talk to me. All right, so where can they find you and anything like that? And is there any request you have? Oh, well, well, you can find us at croptocash.com.ng or c2c.ng. Yeah, so that's where you can find us. Sorry, did you say right. c2c? Justin, you have any questions? No, just to clarify. Yeah, C, then figure two, then um, let us see. Let us see if you go to let us see dot ng. So when you said financial assistance, someone responded, uh, Licky, uh, yeah, Licky, Licky, I'm missing his name up, said financial assistance like 100 million naira. Well, yeah, I mean, we've actually done uh, more than that in financing for farmers. What's the max to give one person? So it typically depends on the size of their farmland, and these farmers are in cooperatives. So um, say a cooperative, a cooperative of 30 farmers with one hectare each, and um, if they need, say, 100K um, for their one hectare, so that's um, 100K per farmer in, uh, in a group of 30 farmers, and then we can easily get that to thousands of farmers. Okay. Yeah. Someone wants you to type, type your URL in the comment section so that they can just follow it. Oh, sure. I'll do that once I... Once you're off, yeah. Off. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. Thank you very much, Michael. Crop to guys. Everybody check them out. Thanks for that. All right. So this next person yeah, is very subtle. He's like, that oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Let's do this for you first. <laughs> No, please. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for all you start up money. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Uh, uh. Hey, man, hey, man.
That's not for you. I can hear it. I can hear it. So they are just deflecting it from other aspects, from other others at the back. <laughs> All right. Uh, everyone, go ahead. Okay. So essentially, um, I'm here to speak about Buybot, uh, buybot.shop. Essentially, we're building um, infrastructure for social commerce. Right. So just to give it a little bit of, of an explanation. So if you look at the trajectory for how people have bought online, it started out with, with websites. And after websites, it went to people building mobile apps. Then it became expensive to build mobile apps for small, small commerce um, companies or individuals. So they then moved on to the marketplace uh, model online. However, we've, we've, people have gone from being online to being on social media messaging tools. So we're building essentially the Shopify for social commerce. Um, that's the easiest way to look at it. It's building um, infrastructure that allows social people who want to engage in social commerce to essentially formalize to formalize their, their, their business. So if you look at people that sell online now, if you put up a pair of shoes um, on your Instagram page, you're going to spend all your time in your DMs speaking to people, asking questions about that and everything else. Um, then when you finish, you have to tell them, okay, transfer to my bank account. You have to confirm payments. After you do that, then you need to organize logistics to come and pick up the shoe and go deliver it to the, to the, to the customer. Um, you might do that all day and be speaking to 300 people at a time. And the more you grow your social media following, the more people will be in your DMs. And at the end of it, you only sell maybe one or two pairs of shoes. Um, that does not make you efficient. That does not make you... Um, that does not make it easy for you to formalize your business. And you cannot take those type of numbers and that type of uh, business model to a bank to get financing to, to expand your business. So we decided to build um, this automated system that allows you to automate the entire process from your inventory all the way to your delivery and logistics. That also gives you a CRM so you can look behind and know what your customers are buying, who your, who your, your customers are. And it also gives you some type of leverage if you're seeking financing of some sort to be able to just print out a report that you can then take to your, to your bank and say, okay, I sell on Instagram, but this, these are my numbers, this is how it goes, and these are my processes. Um, so we decided to build that infrastructure for social commerce because that market is growing. We expect it to hit $2 trillion by 2024. So, uh, so, so it's, it's not a Nigerian it's not a Nigerian business model, so to speak. Social commerce, you know, goes across all geographies, and we're building the infrastructure to be able to accept payments and do delivery across multiple geographies. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay. Well, we have to go and sell grass. Grass. Wait now, wait, 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 wait. Don't worry. <laughs> just, just pack that for a second. <laughs> So Edmund, anything to add and end, and um, what people can find Bybot. Okay, yeah. So you can find Bybot uh, www.bybot.shop. You can also find us on Twitter at I, at Bybot Shop. Yeah, that's it, really. What All if right. we want to Thanks buy shares much. in Bybot.shop? Uh, you, you have my. You know what? What the what the uh, <laughs> our big uncle at Sabota said the last time. They ask you. They ask you questions on the street. Questions are supposed to be asked inside the house. Inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 thank you very much, Edmund. Now, yeah. did you catch any of the show we've had? Um, the conversation we've had for almost an hour and a half now. And uh, is there anything you wanted to plug in? Because I know you are you are involved in a lot of stuff. 
Uh, and if you didn't catch that, I just want to give you the opportunity. Basically, I'm looking forward to having people who do um, processed and great food on our platform. It would be good to see the dynamics of that. I, I, I see a lot of people selling stuff like um, bags, Gary, palm oil, you know, processed and great food on, on social media and Instagram. So I'd like to I'd like to work closely with anyone who is doing stuff like that to see how we can tweak the platform, see what unique uh, needs you might have, um, you know, for what the platform is doing in 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 that regard. So yeah, that's what I'd like to add. All right, all right, thank you. No worries. Thank you, thank you, thank we'll you. Go for house. Cheers. All right. I know grass has caught your attention today. But other than grass, what, what else has, has caught your attention? Are you kidding me? I can't think about anything else, Bola. People are selling grass <laughs> and making money. And you want me to be thinking about what? What 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 has all the thinking done for me? People are selling grass. Grass. You don't understand. I'm traumatized. <laughs> I'm seriously. Okay, mother, somebody I, said grass and come can you can you give them an update of the grass? But someone I think someone joined late, so they don't get to just about grass. Oh Sonia, you you came late. So people are packaging and selling grass. Some are even exporting it. In this our very Nigeria, and they're making money. People are selling grass. Grass. It, 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 I mean, how easy does it get? Grass. Okay. Um, I, I would like to say some couple of things. First of all, Justin asked a question about drones. Okay, last year, uh, I, like I said earlier, May summer, we did 500 hectares of maize in Niger State. And, um, wait, wait. Delta or Niger? Niger, Niger State. Niger State, okay. okay. Yeah. Now, for the let's let's start with the drone. Last year, we experimented with go from we used the drone. We, we there's this drone they have to spray chemicals and other stuff. So that was all we used last year, and um, it, it's pretty effective. So we're trying to bring in some drones from China to that effect. So drones is is one way we can look at mechanization. In fact, it's cheaper. It's cost effective. It's um, to a very large extent, uh, it's almost as cost effective as the guy who's using knapsack. Mm. That is, if you're going to yes, if you're going to if you're going to use it, if you're going to do it in the large scale, it's that cost effective again. But it's only advisable for large um, large scale farmers. And so, what we are talking about grass? Are we talking about grass that cows eat, or are we talking about yes? You're talking about uh, grass that cows eat. Alfalfa, alfalfa is one of those grass, and it has a very high. I think Michael can confirm that. Why are we exporting it when people are fighting over um, grassland and what their cows ate and didn't eat in parts of Nigeria? So we're looking at we're looking at environmental constraints here. So the the northern part of Nigeria, which has limited rainfall and limited and you have large expanse of land with limited rainfall, and limited rainfall means a lot of things are not growing on that grass, on that land for a very long time, except when the rains come. And if you notice very well, if you notice that um, this crisis are less during the rainy season and more during the dry season. So during the dry season, the, not, the southern part of Nigeria experiences rain even down to November, December. And so there's a lot of migration that happens from the, uh, from the northern part of Nigeria down to the southern part of Nigeria with um, livestock during this season. All right. So, so uh, Sam, there's a question from WhatsApp. Okay. Can y'all talk about why Nigeria imports corn at all? Okay. Okay. So um, I, I, I finished 
I just submitted a report to an international company for on this matter. We import maize because let me give you figures, okay? Yeah, yeah. I think 10.5 million thereabouts. We produce 10.5 million tons per annum, okay? And now in this 10.5 million, around 11. Point something, you know, um, meet our local demand. Now the cost of production locally is higher than the cost of production. Um, if you compare the cost of production with the guy who is in Brazil, our cost of production is like three times higher than the guy who is in Brazil. The guy who is in Brazil, he has that in our seed. The guy who is um, planting here, like Ziggy was saying, integrated pest management, he doesn't know when to apply this. He doesn't want, know when not to apply with. He doesn't know the proper quantity to apply with. So at the end of the day, good agricultural practices is one of our challenges. So when you join all these things together, I'm getting lower yield. So the guy who is in Brazil is getting like, he's getting like 11 tons per hectare. And me, I'm struggling with three tons per hectare. Mm. You understand? Wow. So I, yes. The average, the average maize farmer in Nigeria has 1.8, 1.8, 1.8 tons per hectare. That was what I was trying to say earlier when I was born. The guy who's in South Africa is having an average ton of seven tons per hectare. You see the difference? Wow. And so the, yeah, so the guy who is this uh, flour mills, alarm, NASCO, this guy is rather important than the guy who is in Brazil because if you're producing in bulk, if you have larger, if you, if you have larger, it's easier for you to drop um, your um, base price. You understand? So this pricing thing affects a lot of things. And by, by the time you keep bringing... So Sam, let me ask a question. So for people like Ola uh-huh. who, are, who are heavily import dependent, what options do they have now? Fine, uh, some time ago they went into farming as well, but I, I don't know much more about that. So do you have some insight? What, so, what would they be looking at so, doing now? So uh, I like what uh, uh, flower mills did. So uh, flower mills started this process a long time ago. So they started this team where they bring in large um, um, companies, you know, large farming companies. My company was one of the companies I was about to. Probably almost like around 30,000 hectares and I mean 3,000 hectares and um, and 5,000 in Farah uh, and some other cases. So they called companies like Travelgy, Farmcrowdy, and Agromore, the all this. So you know what? Come farm on our land and we'll buy off everything at harvest. So contract okay. farming. And so, yeah, more like contract farming. But you know what? You just got, we're just giving you, we're giving you, we're making the land available. Hey, come farm. Who buy off again, okay. and you are—they are not sponsoring your activities. You are sponsoring all your activities in fact. So they're not providing inputs. No, 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 no. You are not providing inputs. All inputs you doing it yourself. Okay. Yes, yeah. even the land you pay for the land, you pay for the land. But what it really is, they're just making development conducive for you. And talking about land, we've, talked, we've said a lot of things about land um, today. So what it is. An asset heavy, I believe. For so somebody, you could be all the way in Cardinal and from the comfort of office, you bring in a lot of data to production. Please don't go and buy land. Please don't buy land. Please land. I was also going to say something about the fertilizer blend. Uh, was saying here. See, every, almost every farmer in Nigeria is using MPK twenty ten, and if, by the time I move from Ikoi to Bagada, the land texture in these two places are different. Meaning that the nutrients we need for these two places are different. 
if I'm planting maize, if I'm planting maize and the other guy is planting soya beans, I need different type of fertilizer for my land and for my crop. So we started talking about crop and soil specific fertilizer. This is one of the things that Nigeria should really, really look into seeing data on you. So crop where, and where, where are specific. all the people that studied crop science and all of that? They're on this table. Did you, did you sponsor them? Did you give them <laughs> to go to school? So, so my, my company, my company, we'll be working on We've been working on a lot of um, uh, products that we should be releasing in the market much later. Uh, remote sensing tools. We can measure your land, uh, analyze your soil, texture, and recommend um, fertilizer blend for you, depending on whatever um, you want to plant. Money help you monitor your crop. We could help you monitor your crop, and you know, um, from your planting season to your harvest season. In fact, from your land preparation to your harvest season. Um, there's just a couple of products that we're bringing. That's, that's very interesting. Data, so okay. Let's talk about it yeah. offline. I'd like to learn more about okay, it. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Th- th- no thank you for So at this point, yeah. we're going to close. So, yeah. Justin, you have to say something, please. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta allow Grant to take over. Grant, Grant Cabal. <laughs> Grant Cabal. You know, I like that name. Grant Cabal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so just to uh, wrap us up and then we can call it a day to meet again next week next week we'll be talking about innovation and policy I know you feel all kind of how do you feel my body is doing me I want to drop my and go and farm grass anyway <laughs> <laughs> this has been amazing honestly and clearly clearly, this, we need to mine this conversation that's one thing I'm thinking because Collaboration is also very key. Yeah. Like to be a lot more uh, to be discussed. So this has been really, really good. Thanks to everyone who participated. I don't know, Justin, you have maybe one or two things to to close. I'm just happy. This is why we do serious banter. This is what the collective is about, right? Curating conversations that enrich people's idea sets allow us to get to know people, expand our horizons and unlock collaborations and synergies from, from all of that conversation happening. So this is a point where I have to say thank you to everybody that keeps coming back. Thank you for the guys who have made this a part of their Tuesday evenings and we're just getting started. Somebody, Sonny, Sonny was asking a uh-uh, sound effect. I told him you've not seen anything. We've gone global. So apart from the fact that this is fun to do, I would like to see us create something in the real world that came out of these conversations that we're having. Today. I agree as well. Yeah. I definitely agree. This needs to happen. People need to talk. ASAP, man. There are a lot of my grass money. Thank you so much, everyone. Though. Th- thanks. It was a pleasure finally getting to have you participate on Serious Panther. Thank you very much. All right, guys. See you next Tuesday. All right, it. Keep it going on the timeline, please. This is serious banter. Take no breaks. You in my lane. Yeah. Shall we begin? You cross that line. It ain't your day. I lost my mind. I need If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, do remember to subscribe to our channels and follow our social media handles as well so that you can stay informed about subsequent episodes. And if you have any tips, suggestions, feedback, or inquiry, do send us a message on any of our handles and we will be in touch. See you on the next episode.